I'm your host, Grace Zhang. I'm your host, Daniel Martanda. And in today's special episode, we will cover why mental health awareness is important and needs to be discussed more if we want to help contribute towards solving this global crisis. We will be discussing how most people view mental illnesses, how it's correlated with physical and emotional health, and why we should become familiar with the terms in order to truly understand what they mean. So in order to have a dialogue about mental health, understand its role in overall health, and all the terms that relate to it, we need to understand the stigma surrounding it. So what do most people think about mental illnesses? Well, when I think about it, I think the first thing that comes to mind, how the media represents them as crazy or lunatics or violent people. And I would say a lot of movies that I've watched growing up also depicted people with mental illnesses as that type of person. How about you, Daniel? Yeah, I definitely agree. We do have to understand media's role in our perception of things. Let's talk about stigma. What does it mean? You know when someone views you in a negative way because you have certain characteristic which is thought to be a disadvantage? Well, that's what stigma is. It's how people can give you a label for a trait you have, which is usually made up of stereotypes, prejudice, and discrimination. Those who are struggling and want to feel heard are challenged by the stereotypes and prejudice that society has created, which has resulted in many misconceptions about mental illness and media has played a role in creating them. And looking at films in the past, mental illness had a poster image or label which is tough to take down, as we've grown to think that what's up there is correct. We've portrayed them as crazy or violent based off how the media has shown them in films. Our behavior towards it is wrong. So we really need to put more of a focus of how it really influences us all. Oh yeah, definitely. If media develops like a stereotype, there's countless stereotypes out there, it's really hard to break the mold of it. And so people who grew up watching those movies, say maybe my parents' generation, it's definitely harder for them to get rid of this idea that people with mental illness are not how they were shown on movies or TV or how they were talked about. But that just proved that Media has to be careful about how they portray mental illness on screens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, given how people are more vocal in today's society, Hollywood has taken a step in portraying mental illnesses from different perspectives. I personally really love Goodwill Hunting and Silver Lining Playbook. Not so much for the great casting, but for how their challenges were portrayed and the personal stories of these characters as well. They may not be the most accurate, but it does show that they are trying to do their part in replacing the poster image which they assisted in the creation of. Yeah, no, I definitely agree that Hollywood has taken bigger steps, but I feel like now with media, the main cause for concern would be social media such as YouTube or Instagram, which is less regulated because unlike Hollywood where it's a whole production center, you can do whatever you want on the internet. And I think that's the most harmful is when young children just go onto it because it's so accessible and anyone could put anything on there. That's the scary thing, I think. In the future, if there was any kind of misrepresentation about mental illness, I think it will be more on those social media platforms than in like uh, movie theaters. 
social media is another medium we have to be way more conscious of as it is being way too relevant in our lives today. This actually does relate to something we were planning on talking about later, which is a topic of how mental illness is portrayed in the media and how people who try to open up get labeled as attention-seeking. Technology has really developed quickly. And in society, there's been a constant need for individuals to feel connected to the internet. So social media has served many roles in our lives. It has become a major communication channel where people can receive information, share photos and videos, and create content. But these are only some of the many ways that users benefit from it. We do have to keep in mind that it does have its drawbacks. It disconnects people from their reality as we spend more time focusing on who we are online. This tool severely affects people's minds as they compare themselves to others or influencers, therefore lowering their self-esteem. It's tough to open up about our mental health when there's currently something out there which is growing and plays a large role in our overall health. I just wanna do a quick little metaphor, just a little quote just to keep in mind that might help people understand more. A flower always blooms when a storm has passed. And one storm that can be a challenge right now is the need to feel heard or communicate about your mental health without the fear of receiving a label. When someone chooses to open up in person or through their social media, there are gonna be individuals out there who have the nerve to label you as attention-seeking. Everyone communicates and uses social media in their own way, but those who try to utilize its potential good have difficulty avoiding this label. We have to try our best to mute the haters out there and continue to focus on improving ourselves. Removing a label of an item leaves behind some glue to show you that it was there before. However. If we coated ourselves with a protective layer or sprayed something on the surface, labels would have trouble sticking onto us or leaving a mark behind. What about you, Grace? What are your thoughts on this? I think that you're definitely right when someone like comes out on a social media platform like publicly about their experiences with mental illness, that a lot of people do label them as attention seekers or trying to like garter the kind of audience's pity so that they can get more subscribers and i feel like there are definitely people that do that i'm not saying that everyone on the internet is saying the truth but we should be more conscious of what we're doing before we label someone and people that also come out on the internet if they're like kind of sharing their experience people may also label them as maybe too sensitive or like i've gone through worse than you have or whatever and that also is very toxic because it kind of makes people more reluctant to share their own experiences. People go through rough patches and they would create a post on Facebook where they would share their story as a way to help others get the resources they need and to come out of their own rough patch. And to all the people out there who feel the need to tell someone that they're making a big deal out of something or someone is being too sensitive or to grow up. You need to understand that these words do not validate their feelings. 
And if you really are someone who's trying your best to understand, you have to be careful what you say around the terms that can severely affect them as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely keeping in mind that everyone has different experiences. I feel like sometimes people are inclined to have this competition as to has it the worst, which is extremely negative. So everyone has their own personal take on what is a tough situation for them and what are challenges. And it just kind of reminds you to be more open-minded because it is easy to, when someone shares an experience that they think is tough, to be like, well, I gone through this, blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, you just have to be more self-aware of what you're doing because even though you might not think it affects someone else's experience with sharing mental health, it does make a huge impact. You just have to not be quick to call people too sensitive or unreasonable on their feelings. Mm, yeah, I guess this is something our younger generations will apply better than the ones before them. If we reflect on our interactions with elders, it may be tough to avoid hearing the responses of how they would have handled it differently if they were our age, or things were so much tougher than it is now. So it's really hard to change the mindset of others who've had their belief systems engraved into them. However, what we can do is show inspiration for the future and see if they show promise of a neater mentality. In today's world, I think we all need to improve in our level of non-technological communication regarding handling suppressed feelings and not letting words change who we are. And the reason I say non-technological communication is because of how relevant communication is in mobile apps. We feel connected through profiles on social media when really many can say that we are really disconnected. Mm -hmm. no, I think it relates to uh, introverts. You want to add more to that, Grace? Yeah, definitely. It's kind of the older generation or I'll say kind of my parents generation that always believed extroverts were kind of the better personality and that if you were quiet something was automatically wrong with you and now that has led to I guess people assuming things about introverts uh, I think one of the biggest thing would be that people who are quiet and just more reserved have like a mental illness and that's completely false some introverts are very social they just want to choose the people they're social with and it just relates more to the fact that there's a stigma and that misrepresentation and stereotyping is really harmful. We shouldn't just assume, of course, that people that are quiet have a mental illness. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes into also assuming that people that need to take time for their mental health or take more time to improve their mental health are weak-minded or they just can't take on these challenges that, you know, I can, right? Yeah. Um, do you have anything to say about that? That's a very valid point, because I feel like this opportunity may present itself in many people's lives. And the reason I call it an opportunity is because we can help destroy the stigma surrounding mental health when we embrace our feelings. It's when a friend may ask you to come out tonight, whether it be for dinner or drinks, but this night, you're not feeling like going out. You may have had some struggles with this one because of conflicts of interest or because of how tough it is to be honest. You plan on using that time to study for personal commitments or for yourself 
as you may just not be in the mood. When an activity or planned event approaches, in my opinion, people share a common feeling of having second thoughts about attending. This is okay, because you should always be aware of how you are feeling in the present. In this moment, if you tell yourself that sometimes you do need to stay at home, you may contemplate the options of trying to feel better, trying to distract yourself, focus on growth, or go out to spend time with your friends. And if you tell them the real reason of why you want to stay home, you may never know what kind of response you may get. They may be like, hey, I know you may be feeling down because of blank event took place, but this could be viewed as a distraction for you. The advice you receive from an extroverted friend about the opportunity to distract yourself by coming out with them is not the advice an introverted person needs to take. If you need to stay at home that Friday and feel like your friend may not understand and might give you the wrong advice on how to handle it, you need to trust your judgment. This is actually an opportunity for you to feel better and also aid in reducing the stigma. No, definitely. I like your example about the going out. I feel like if I were to say that if someone invites me out and I'm to say, oh, I'm not feeling well, my stomach hurts, there's no questions asked. And same with school, right? But if I were to say that that day my mental health was kind of off or I felt that I needed yeah. a day just to be myself, everyone's like, you can push through it. Nothing is actually wrong with you or nothing's actually, you know, in your body. And true. yeah, that's the thing that we have to because mental health is just as important as physical health. But it's really hard to take a day off for your mental health. Like it's hard explaining to people because people just don't get it because they just see like if it's not something that they can tell that's wrong with you, then they're inclined to think that you're perfectly fine and you're healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like you mentioned about stomach aches. They aren't weaknesses. Those are illnesses which they can treat. So if someone is sharing an illness they have, which is mental, we should focus on helping them treat that as well. If time is something you need for a stomach pain, why can't time be viewed as something you need for what is mentally bringing you down? I know we're talking about stomach pain, but that's just some food for thought. Mm-hmm, definitely. And it's with the weak-minded and the comparison to physical health, it just touches on actually our next topic, which is how mental health is correlated with our physical and emotional health, which we will continue with after our break. Hey everyone, welcome back. We are now going to talk about how mental health is correlated to our emotional and physical health. They both have a strong bond, so I want you to visualize a rope which connects your mind to your body. Think of our brain as a supercomputer, which processes information it receives from our senses and body and sends messages back. Our brain consists of three main parts, the cerebrum, cerebellum, and the brainstem. The cerebrum, which is the larger part of the brain, controls our reading, thinking, learning, speech, emotions, and planned muscle movements like walking. It also controls hearing, vision, and other senses. The right hemisphere of the cerebrum controls the left side of your body, and the left hemisphere controls the right. They each contain four different types of lobes, called the frontal, parietal, temporal, and occipital 
and perform specific functions. The frontal lobe controls personality, decision-making, and reasoning, while the temporal lobe controls memory, speech, and sense of smell. The cerebellum, which is the next part of the brain, is located in the back, and it controls the balance, coordination, and fine muscle controls, like walking. It also functions to maintain posture and equilibrium. Now the brainstem is located at the bottom of the brain, and it connects the cerebrum to the spinal cord. It consists of the midbrain, the pons, and the medulla, and controls fundamental body functions, such as breathing, eye movements, blood pressure, heartbeat, and swallowing. So, to put this in simple words, the body won't do what the mind won't tell it to do. If you're interested in learning more about the anatomy of the brain and its functions, feel free to check out the John Hopkins Medicine website. I want us to look at how we act when we feel hungry. Do you notice your body feeling different? Have you introduced thoughts about satisfying the hunger? How have you planned on utilizing sources which can fuel it? I don't have to mention which type of hunger I'm talking about, but I feel like I can say that most of us, including myself, instinctively thought about the hunger in our belly. I can understand if you thought about eating food, getting groceries, cooking, buying, or even fasting. I personally feel like we all need to have a similar or better overall response when we think about mental hunger. How do we notice our feelings, our thoughts, our plan of action? In order for us to maximize our overall well-being and build mental muscle, we need to truly understand the relationship between our mind and body. Some things we can do to improve our overall hunger and build mental strength include writing in a gratitude journal after waking up, meditating, eating a good meal, consuming motivational content from quotes or videos, reflecting on positive moments at the end of each day, opening up to someone, doing something for someone else, being mindful in the present moment, or even reducing our subconscious's level of control by recognizing our overthinking. If an athlete plans on getting stronger, they may go to the gym, practice daily, or pay attention to their diet, such as eating healthier, portion control, taking supplements, or drinking more water. The effect of this action goes beyond physical gain. When we focus on losing weight and gaining or maintaining muscle, some of the things we put in our belly does play a role in our minds too. In fact, an important one. Getting stronger overall can be achieved by placing more focus on both the mind and body, and we should try to prioritize our attention to all things we ingest beyond food. Our mind is the engine to our car. This is an important topic, and a lot can be said about why and how to truly understand our bodies. Is there anything you'd like to add on to this, Grace? No, I definitely agree with your part, your example about the food that you physically intake affecting your mental health. And it's also vice versa. Of course, your relationship with food. I see this a lot in people my age, young people, but it does affect everyone. Of course, body image issues and how having a bad relationship with food, if you're purely, if you have a toxic mindset of, I think the most common one is losing weight. 
then you will just diet and not eat. And then that leads to a decline in physical health. It's to keep in mind that you have to kind of, of course, love yourself and be in the right mindset. And that also affects the, your diet and what you're putting into your body. So like Daniel said, it's like a scale. If you move one, the other side also is affected. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything more to add? Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's look at how others talk about this. The World Health Organization, or WHO, defines health as a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. This does not mean we should prioritize our physical well-being at the expense of our mental health, as we need to tackle them both at the same time. If we want to take preventative measures from a disease affecting our overall well-being, please understand the foundation of health and what can cause you to feel sick. Stress is just one of the many mental challenges which can weaken your body and leave you vulnerable to sickness. A stick or a stone can affect your overall well-being, but what you do next can minimize its impact. How you act is important. This includes using our physical body to walk to a therapist or using your mouth to talk to a friend. I understand these may not be options for everyone, as the state of our minds are shaped by various factors. However, we will try our best to help you reacquire your resources and build a better mindset. We will have podcasts and blog articles in the future which cover meditation, mindfulness, and mentality. The three M's. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, kind of moving forward, it's important to also distinguish your thoughts from your feelings because this also affects physical health, right? Yes, of course. So I think with feelings, it's more of your emotional state or maybe your reaction to something. And then thoughts, well, we have millions of thoughts every day. It's just things that we're thinking or just suddenly pop in our brain. And Daniel, how would you say kind of these two affect your physical health? I think many people, including myself, have fallen ill from the plague known as overthinking. <laughs> it is when you think about something too much for too long and you just can't get out of your head. A thought is a powerful thing and having a negative one enter your subconscious can really shape your reality with welcoming problems. Motivational speaker Tony Robbins said that whatever you hold in your mind on a consistent basis is exactly what you will experience in your life. This is something the world's most successful people realize, and the difference between them and everyone else is that they have learned how to harness the power of thoughts to help them achieve. We weren't born as overthinkers, but there are patterns to our behavior. They develop over time and are based on life experiences. However, just as patterns are learned, they can also be unlearned. With little time and effort, we can break the habit known as overthinking and truly enjoy our lives. So here are some tips you can do next time you're overthinking. Ask yourself if the intention is positive and what it may be. What is it trying to protect you from or motivate you to do? Is there a way you can achieve the same thing in a more positive, healthy, and sustainable way? Focus less on the problem 
and more on the solution by asking yourself better questions. Separate yourself from your thoughts and be more mindful in the present moment. Choose which thoughts you want to let pass by and which ones you want to welcome. Challenge yourself by asking if your thought has undeniable proof. Learn how to heal from your past and work on managing your emotions. Let's look at the word stupid and how it may come up in a situation. Are you feeling stupid or are you thinking that you are stupid? Is this an emotion or a thought? If you aren't able to differentiate the two, then neither are accurately expressed, which can change your experience and make coping more difficult. Having accurate labels for your emotions is an important part of effectively managing your emotions and produces a different result. By saying, I think I am stupid, your body will focus on how to address that thought and challenge yourself to see if it's accurate. It isn't an easy task and it requires practice. Be mindful of what you tell yourself through your thoughts and through your mouth. Looking back, have you felt like you've had moments where you wish you talked to yourself differently, Grace? Definitely. I feel like in your childhood, you don't have as much self-awareness as you do as you mature. And so obviously as a child, I think like any other child, if I was scared, I, I couldn't really change that. I, I'm just feeling scared. Um, But now... I kind of I think the biggest part that as you described kind of changing how you think and realizing that oh I'm thinking that I'm feeling like this so I can just I can it does take practice like you said to change kind of your thinking or your ways of thinking and the biggest part that's impacted has more been like my confidence and my like self-esteem because if I suddenly think that I'm feeling self-conscious or if I suddenly think that you know maybe I'm not uh, as good looking or whatever if I change that and I'm like if I just think that I am just as good looking as anyone else and that there is nothing for me to kind of be self-conscious about then it does become better I and I have, through practice through thinking this multiple times you you know it's like you what is it pretend fake it till you make it right mm -hmm. suddenly yeah after you think a lot think about it for a long time and kind of just becomes ingrained Definitely. And have you had an experience kind of similar to this where you've changed your thinking of what you're feeling? Yeah, there are moments where I wish I could go back in time and reframe my mindset. But unfortunately, time travel is not a thing. I do try to reflect on my moments and learn for the benefit of my future. What you mentioned about awareness when you are younger is very important and one should not beat themselves up based on how they were. I try to have more mature conversations with myself and are more conscious of my thoughts. Since thoughts are not facts and aren't 100%, so it really helps me have a different outlook on things as each day goes by. It's like when you were scared to go on the roller coaster for the first time, but right after you experience it, the strength of that feeling is not the same as the first time. Definitely, yeah. If your your mind is your mind obviously controls your whole body and your thoughts really do affect your physical health more. Um if you think about sad things all the time and if you are constantly kind of bombarded with pessimistic thoughts or bad things, then you will feel, I guess, in a way, personally, from personal experience, I felt more lazier or less motivation to do anything 
And overall, my physical health, you know, just kind of goes downhill after that because I'm less inclined to take care of myself. And definitely your analogy there with the mind being the engine and the body being the car is very true, especially if you guys ever play sports. I know a lot of times it's just the mental barriers that hold me back from performing the best that I can. Yeah, of course. Mental barriers is often what limits people when they play sports. Stressing about your talent or worrying about a teammate getting injured may be justifiable, but it gives the other team a scent of your doubt. Your mind can work wonders for you if you work on making it stronger. Is there anything more that you would like to add before we move on to the final topic of the podcast? Uh, not much. I think you explained it really well, definitely, about just emphasizing again on the importance of physical health and mental health. And like you just said, you know, it being a cycle and whatever you do does have a major impact on either or. And just understanding, because at the end of the day, you know, understanding what goes on in your own body and how to kind of explain it and everything is important as well, uh, which does relate to our next topic, which we will continue with after our break. All right, well, welcome back, everyone. Um, this is our final topic of this podcast, which I think might be one of the most important ones. And that relates to being more familiar with the terms and understanding what they mean with regards to your mental health. So we'll have to talk about the importance of clarifying these terms. When we do this, it really lessens the stigma towards our mental health disorders. and Grace, what do you think are some other ways that these term terminologies that we use can really reduce the stigma or even just like help us get the mindset that we need to address all of this right now? Um, I think with using like the correct terms and understanding what they mean, its effect on stigma is that it lessens the negative connotations surrounding mental illness and mental health. And it makes everyone more open because, you know, in physical health with like medicine, there are concrete definitions and everyone, there's no like opinion on everything, you know, it's like a very generalized thing. With mental health, I feel like we're still at the point where everyone still has different understandings and kind of what they think, you know, certain mental illnesses are due to, again, media representation. So I think if we start introducing kind of a larger understanding of these terms everyone becomes everyone's on the same page with this and so it's easier to lessen the stigma surrounding it because you actually understand the terms and what they mean Mm -hmm. of course it makes them feel more uh acknowledged and understood Mm where if your friend is telling you about something and the other person who's hearing it actually knows what you're talking about and, and says yeah i totally know what you mean Mm-hmm. Whereas if they don't know, understand the true definition, they might not give you that, that feeling and you might be having a different um, perspective of sharing your feelings to friends as well. Uh, should we start on talking about some of the most commonly used terms and their meanings as well? Mm-hmm, definitely. And so I guess the first one would be mental disorder, which the term what it means is that it's characterized by a combination of disturbed thoughts emotions behavior 
and relationships with others. The other term that we have is mental health, which is the state of well-being through which an individual can recognize their importance in life, cope with obstacles in life, work towards their goals, and make a difference in their community. Mm-hmm. And I think it's definitely important, the first two definitions we have here, because I feel like mental health applies to everyone. Sometimes, some days you have bad mental health days, right? But mental mm-hmm. disorder, it, is, it, does, it doesn't just apply to everyone. So these two words, would you agree, Daniel? You can't just use them interchangeably, right? Yeah, not... You can't talk too much about mental disorders for, you can't generalize people with that. And we have to understand that illnesses is something that affects our health. Mm -hmm. And these two words are different definitions and they're not the same thing and they can't be used in the same sentence. And then our last one, which would be very important is stigma. And stigma is a distinguishing mark that establishes a separation between the stigmatized person and others attributing negative characteristics to this person. It's just kind of giving a bad stereotype or, again, generalizing and assuming that everyone like this, you know, there's definitely stigma around mental health. And that stigma often leads to social exclusion and discrimination. Um, for those affected and creates this kind of additional burden for those people. Um, mm-hmm. And so here at Knee Mentality, our goal really is to kind of lessen or completely destroy the stigma because it's harmful to everyone. Mm-hmm. Of course, you don't really want to be in an environment where you have this on your back the whole time when you were really just trying to feel better, but now you're feeling worse. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like something, this next term, I, in my childhood, I know a lot of the imma- immature kind of students used it, and we didn't really realize just how, um, how we were using it irresponsibly, but the term mental retardation and why some reasons why it shouldn't be used, and it definitely it has negative connotations. It's often used as an insult, a synonym for an idiot, stupid, and this also kind of goes hand to hand with terms for disabled, handicapped, crippled, blind, etc. And this term, it's dehumanizing and politically incorrect. And I feel like there isn't as much uh, kind of awareness for this term because definitely I think I still would know some people that are immature enough to use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see, even in adults as well, that. Uh... Mm-hmm that still use the terminology, even though that we're trying to address this as well. I think there are other better ways that we can say certain things. And there's a long list. And if we really want to focus on changing our vocabulary, I do think that we should all take the initiative of also learning ourselves about these topics. We might cover a few things that or give you some idea or help motivate you to reframe your minds, but we might not have all the answers. So just to talk about a few of the paraphrases that you could use, uh, just look at three of them. Mental retardation, blind, disabled. 
With regards to mental retardation, an alternative you could use is intellectually and developmentally disabled. Blind often has a rephrased um, wording, which is used, but not always used by people, which is visually impaired. Sorry, visually impaired. Am I in a tongue little thing there? <laughs> <laughs> is uh, differently abled. And Grace, do you feel like there's uh, any other paraphrases that we could use for these words? I know there's certain ones out there we might have in the back of our mind and we might have an understanding for it, but I feel like it's uh, something to obviously discuss as well because we might not know what's mm -hmm. And I definitely agree. Um, kind of understanding these terms is very important and, you know, when is appropriate to use them. Uh, personally, I definitely, I think personally, I should take more initiative and learn more about this. Um, because people, you know, it's other human beings, I should uh, have a decent understanding. And personally, what comes to mind is with mental retardation, um, people that are intellectually and developmentally disabled, that's, that's a genuine thing. And we shouldn't just assume that people that don't do well at school are like this, because I think this more applies to people that were younger, especially uh, during my childhood, I think. Um, the people that were, again, immature in my class use this. Um, and it's it just reminds us that we should start educating people when they're very young on these things um, so that it doesn't grow into this habit or just kind of ignorance that they have. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, uh, again, with um, appropriate paraphrases, when describing Down syndrome, we shouldn't be saying that it's a disease because it's not it's a genetic condition and that saying that there's kind of a cure to down syndrome daniel do you want to elaborate more on that yeah i think um we notice it when we're younger and we don't really stand up as much as we're trying to stand up now and it's just that how some of your students or even yourself or even just people around you would view it as a disease and there are times where people would have a negative uh, connotation towards it, which just makes you, th it's like very harsh wording that makes you just think that they're different from you. And that it's, it's, really, it's really sad that the way that people can act and think. And as time and time goes on, you understand that they might be changing their mindset now, but people who had it that suffered from all this at the time were in a position where they also felt misunderstood. And I think they also mentioned how people with Down syndrome are often implied as someone who's incapable or incompetent. They can't do the same stuff. We are all humans here. And if someone has something that impairs them physically, we try to hold the door for them if they're in a wheelchair. We try to help them if they fall off their crutches. But if they have a mental impairment, why are we pushing them down more? Why are we shutting the door on them? We don't have the same attitude with regards to mental impairments that we do with physical impairments. and it's. It's really not fair. Mm -hmm. um, definitely with 
how you described it as the mental impairments with the difference between physical impairments yeah like people will willingly go help or approach people that have physical impairments um more or are more likely to do that than to kind of um help someone with maybe a mental impairment and i think that goes back to the stigma around mental illness we think that people are lunatics or crazy or violent so we're less inclined to approach them and you know it goes hand in hand with destroying the stigma so that these people if they do need help and the same with people with physical impairments if they're in a wheelchair or whatever um, any other types we should also kind of be respectful of what they want if they do ask for help then we should help them but I do think that to a certain extent we shouldn't just automatically help them but yeah like Daniel said definitely we should be changing how we treat people with either or Mm -hmm. that is something to keep in mind for our futures um there is i think one more thing we want to bring up and that is depression and grief and understanding the difference between the two so i'll just talk briefly about depression i'm sure we're all ending of what it entails uh, at the time, there might be a period of time where you felt like you had that cloud in your mind or you felt like something was wrong, but you never name, gave a name for it. So we have to recognize that it's a mood disorder it, and it consists of very intense feelings of sadness that can last beyond weeks and that can really disturb your sleep, can disturb your appetite, and they can lose your concentration on things. And some of the most common feelings that come from it is feeling tired, being very guilty, sorry, feeling guilty, being more anxious, and that navigating through your life can be very difficult right now. And you might not have an understanding of where these clouds came from. What, what was the reason why you're feeling like this? And why are they still here? Where is the sun? How come this hasn't blown over? Why is it still lingering around? And that just describes what depression can feel like. It can just feel like your whole view of the sense that just changed because something came, disrupted it, and you might not know what's going on. And I think that really differs from grief. And I think, Grace, you might have a good explanation of how grief uh, is different from the two and why we need to recognize um, the importance of both. Mm-hmm. Um, grief, it generally it arises from upsetting or stressful life events and I think the most common one would be losing someone that you cared for or losing a loved one and it's caused by specific triggers and people definitely uh, often confuse the two and incorrectly diagnose themselves and um, with depression I think that that term is a more commonly used one um for people that self-diagnose themselves because in our culture, I hear this a lot in my school, people will just randomly out of the blue say, oh, I'm so depressed. And this common frequent use of a word, it desensitizes you to it. And you, you know, your kind of definition of it in your mind changes. And so when people genuinely have depression and are trying to talk about it, people may kind of shake it off or shrug your shoulders because they're so used to it used as in a light mood or not as serious and them not actually understanding that it's a genuine mood disorder 
And of course, with grief, um, people do also confuse the two. Uh, Daniel, do you have anything to add? Um, let's see. One thing to keep in mind is that you can be both. You can be mm-hmm. someone who is depressed and not know what's going on and then lose someone in your life. And they can introduce grief. You could feel even lower. And that feeling of grief will pass at some time, but it might leave behind a few clouds in your depression. And you might think that grief is not done. You might still think that, wow, this event really affected me and I haven't really healed from it. Whereas you could have healed from it, but not realize that it did leave a mark and it did not stay there completely. It left mostly your grief and your sadness has gone through time, but it will contribute to your depression. And we need to focus on how we can reduce that and some of the resources out there, which, um, you know, we could talk about in our next podcast about some of the resources we could use. And I'm sure people do have a general idea, but for the people who don't, remember that you have to find a support system out there for yourself and mm-hmm. you have to find what it could be. It could either be a friend, it could be someone you could talk to, it could be a therapist, it could be a gratitude journal, it could be yourself, it could be family, it could even be having to talk to a psychiatrist to get medication to use at the same time as talking to a therapist. There's a lot of things you can do and that can really help with your depression and that's the one thing we want to address, I think, at Neat Mentality as well. How to tackle the depression, how to tackle your anxiety, and tackle some of the other mental disorders you have. And understand that these disorders or illnesses that humans have are things in our mind that need to be recognized by the public. And once we address them and how we can see that the resources out there, pretty much we're all going to be strong together <laughs> mm-hmm. definitely at like at here at new mentality we're we're really um you know you could count on us as being a support system as daniel said we are you know supporting you um on your journey to finding help if you need it and even if you don't have a mental illness or disorder your mental health is still important and like daniel said small things can definitely help improve your mental health and understanding these terms is always beneficial and with kind of our talk on you know uh having clouds in your head and finding a support system for that really we do we you do have to kind of the importance of finding um a support system is just in case you know you ever go through these because life does change and everyone's different and you can't always foresee you know what your mentality is going to be in the future so just surround yourself with people that you trust and there's obviously like daniel said a lot of online resources or resources in general that we could make a whole episode about Mm -hmm. you know what kind of mentality they need grace what a neat mentality. <laughs> uh, I love that. that's that's a nice way to lighten the mood. <laughs> <laughs>
I think, uh, yeah, of course. It's a good way, I guess, to wrap up this first podcast. Because <laughs> uh, I felt like we touched on a lot. Oh, we, uh, we did. Is there any uh, closing words you want to give, Grace, uh, before we head on out and let them know that we'll talk soon in our next podcast? Um, Closing words, I think like the episode's theme you know why mental health awareness is important everyone should just keep themselves educated be open-minded and um ignorance is is very negative and uh not beneficial any closing words from you daniel i think you really conveyed the important topics that we discussed today very effectively so i think there might not be much I can add to that. You're right. Ignorance is a problem. Mm-hmm. And we can be more aware and open of this. Thank you for being a part of How Are You Really? A Neat Mentality podcast. In our next episode, we'll be covering another topic that can help you further build your mental muscle. So make sure to subscribe to be notified of when we release new episodes. And for more content related to mental health awareness, check out our website at www.neatmentality.com. We are welcome to suggestions, so feel free to talk to us on our social media pages. Having a neat mentality will welcome a neat reality.